Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC 265, Gone versus Lewis. This episode, like all episodes, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Cody Saftig is on the line, breaking down the pay-per-view. I mean, they're fighting for a fake belt. As a Frankie <laughs> Fra- Francis Ngannou, Frankie Murder fan, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, Derek Lewis, if he figures out a way to win this fight, he may have some claim. He's the last person to beat Francis Ngannou. But until you beat the the king right now, this belt means nothing. But, you know, props to them for taking the opportunity, taking the taking the spot. But this belt doesn't mean shit. Yeah, I mean, I think we like the fight on, on that standpoint. And the problem with having a champion is the best guy is supposed to fight the champion. But when your champion is laid off on the sidelines, then nobody really wants to fight each other because, geez, I'm supposed to fight the champion. If I take this fight and I lose, back of the packing order. So that's the hesitancy there. So instead, the UFC just creates an interim title. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, geez, I can win this and be a world champion. Whoever wins this, all it is is a free ticket to fight the actual champion, Francis Ngannou. But, uh, yeah, I don't care about that. I just care about nice, entertaining, exciting fights. Derek Lewis has never been in a bad fight other than the one fight against Francis Ngannou. But uh, you kind of know what you get. Um, what you get. Actually, you don't know what you're going to get from him every time out. I mean, he lands that shot on you, and you're dead. He doesn't. He just does not look like the most spectacular heavyweight going. But, I mean, he's got, you know, fight-ending power all the time. Gone, he's a surgeon. I'm a big fan of his work. Yep. So, regardless of it's a phony title or not, the sport is full of phony titles. Interim titles are all there all the time. Vacated titles are there. Titles, like the Jan Blockowitz. Is Jan Blockowitz really the light heavyweight champ? Well, yeah, he is. But no, not really. The BMF belt is the best example. Like, talk about the most ludicrous championship belt. Nobody even defends it. It was just like a one-off, just for stupidity's sake. All I'm saying is they could do a lot worse. So I'm down with this heavyweight headliner. I'm down with this card in total. And then coming off the heels of last week, you know, on the Bellator side of things, whatever, let's not even mention that. But on the UFC side of things, absolutely torn to shreds. This pay-per-view offers a much better lineup. We can get much better reads on some of these guys. And I feel like uh, it'll be a good bounce back week. Yeah, for now, until we lose like five fights. uh... (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) As as seems to be the case again. And after it seemed like things were clearing up. And then last week was a bit, I mean, it was a bit of a shit show. What are you going to do? But yeah, heavyweight interim title fight on the line here. Cyril Ghan, a minus 380 favorite, a DraftKings sports book. Derek Lewis can be had for plus 290. I mean, with any Derek Lewis fight, it's not rocket science. The guy hits like a truck. Um, if you were going to, uh, DraftKings Sportsbook has him by knockout at plus 450. I couldn't imagine a world if you were going to bet Derek Lewis that you wouldn't just take the the knockout prop for a considerably better price. Um, the way I see this fight kind of playing out, though, is, you know, Cyril gone. That jab is just uh, he, he he was it was a fully on display against uh, against Volkov last time out and in, in a lot of his fights he just lands that jab at will he's super super smart he stays out of trouble he's going to be landing I think body kicks here we've seen Derek Lewis really really not react all that well to shots to the body so teeps up the middle to the body uh, full out body kicks in general maybe some leg kicks fight off that jab, circle around. I believe we're in a big cage because it's in Houston, Texas. 
I like gone to win, but I think the pricing is is getting close to to realistic. Derek Lewis probably has a a two in ten shot of knocking out any man on the planet. So like, yeah, the plus one, uh, plus two ninety underdog price of Derek Lewis, I wouldn't do that. But plus four fifty seems about right in terms of like how I see this fight playing out. If you're gonna take a shot on Lewis, it would be yeah the plus four fifty. I think yeah, close to two out of ten times, twenty percent of the time. Or so, Derek Lewis is going to connect with that absolute laser-guided heat-seeking missile. And he's going to get the finish. But I think Cyril Gunn toys around with him. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, takes this fight to the mat. I see some props out there for Gunn by submission that have a little bit of my interest. But if he could just go out there, try to stink up the joint, and it's in you know, Derek Lewis's hometown... Just stay to the outside, stay out of trouble. Don't get hit with the big one. He'll get hit by some shots. Just don't get yeah. hit by the monster one. I think that's why I like the sub prop. I think that's the best value prop that I see on the board right now for this fight. But, I mean, you only have to go back to Curtis Blades, who was winning on the feet in round one, and then he decides to finally, you know, duck down, go for it, and Lewis lands that massive massive under uh uppercut and puts his lights out like it's a dangerous fight it's a dangerous fight for everybody i got gone winning um i think the under four and a half rounds minus 185 that's how i would attack this i think that's a pretty solid parlay piece you cover all of Derek lewis's paths to victory in my opinion with that number and you i think eventually gone is gonna uh, break this guy down and, and find the finish What's your take here? I agree with pretty much every point you made. I think that Gon's going to get the victory. I think Gon gets the job done. You mentioned maybe by submission. I'm thinking more of the TKO, but I think it happens in under four and a half rounds. Yeah, we've got the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, who basically epitomizes Punch's chance. He can knock out anybody, as you mentioned. And But, but, that's, but that's all he's got going for him. He's cashed a lot of tickets. He's cashed a lot of plus money tickets right on that basis. So right off the hop, if you're looking for a DraftKings punt play, if you're looking for somebody that uh, is going to have high upside in a victory, Derek Lewis is always going to be in it. But if you look at styles and you look at how guys match up with each other, it just seems like it's almost advantage everywhere for Gon outside of, you know, the big power. But Gon's a more precise striker. Yeah, you mentioned his jab, and I think he's going to use the jab to great effect here. But his distance management is just a lot better. Derek Lewis tends to be really flat-footed and then just explode on guys, explode on guys. I don't think that Gon's going to be there to get hit. Any of the counters, he's just going to be gone. It's going to be a frustrating game plan for the fans and for Derek Lewis for the first couple rounds. But if Lewis overextends himself, then he opens himself up for that takedown. You mentioned maybe just maybe Godwin would go to the takedown. I think he would be. Listen, he's got great ring IQ. And I think when you tape study Derek Lewis, the biggest thing is don't stand in front of this guy. However, everybody that takes him down has a lot of success in doing so. We just saw three fights back, Ilir Latifi. Some people were crying robbery. Not that I agreed with that. But some people were crying robbery that they thought Latifi won the fight. A 205-er making his first fight up at, at heavyweight, taking on a guy that's 265 pounds on the basis of the takedowns. And once Lewis is off, off his back, he's got this thing where he's just like, screw it, time to stand up, and he'll push you and stand back up. But it's not exactly pretty. It's not exactly the most, uh, technical. you know, it's not the most technical move going out there. But he makes it work for himself because he's got that brute strength, right? So with Gon, I think he could mix in the takedowns. He could stay to the outside and mix it, use the jab. The kicks are going to be money as well. I mean, he loves to attack that knee, kick, and then dance out of there. Cardio's on point. Chin, well, we don't really know about Chin yet because he's been chin-checked all of one time. I think Junior landed a good shot on him. 
Volkov didn't really land much. And Yarazina Rosa struck. That would have been a great barometer test for this one. Also just didn't really land anything clean or of note. But I just feel like the reason why none of these guys are hitting him is because, again, it's the distance management. He makes a lot of excellent choices in there. He doesn't care about getting booed. And he's not one of these heavyweights that is predicated on getting that quick finish. He can extend you over the course of 25. And it seems like he enjoys extending guys out over the course of 25. So four to one favorite seems more than appropriate. However, you are dealing with Derek Lewis and that anybody could say, well, where, where did blades have the disadvantage? Yeah, you're right. Blades had him outgunned everywhere. Volkov had him outgunned everywhere. He still beats these guys, but you know, Volkov, it's a buzzer beater. It really is the blades fight. I suppose if blades has got one issue in his overall game is he doesn't seem like the most durable guy going and he's not super comfortable in the striking just quite yet. I feel like gun is a lot more well-rounded and being that he's dealt with, I know they're not training partners anymore, but being that he's dealt with Francis Ngannou in the training room before, it's like he knows or at least has a general idea of how to deal with these these big heavy-hitting guys, right? He's been spending this time this t- uh, camp at American Top Team. Again, just a gym loaded with guys his size, like-minded guys, whereas Lewis kind of does his own thing in Texas, doesn't really have any training partners because by his own account, can't find anybody that wants to train with him. But I just feel like, yeah, puncher's chance for sure. We've covered that. Everybody who's covered this fight has covered that, but it's just not enough for me to personally take the shot on. So I got to go with gone, gone inside the distance, gone by TKO and uh, the over four and a half, as you mentioned. Under. Sorry. Yeah. The the under. No, no. I I think even though he likes to stretch himself out and take his time, Derek Lewis is not one to fight for 25 minutes. No. So Derek, Derek will either say, screw it, time to get it over with. And he'll try to lead the dance and one of them's going down. Or he'll stay at bay for way too long. And you've seen him do it to Travis Brown. You seem to do it with a bunch of guys. Like he gets hit to the body and just curls over. A lesser ref stops it, right? And for whatever reason, he works his way back into it. That's not going to be the case here. God's not going to let him off the hook. I agree with the under four and a half, which I believe was minus 185. You got it. All right. We got Jose Aldo taking on Pedro Munoz. Pretty much a straight pick. A minus 115. Jose Aldo, minus 105. Pedro Munoz, who you got here? I'm going to go with Pedro Munoz on this one. I think Jose Aldo, since dropping down, has seemingly, you know, caught a second wind. His career is, you know, he's still a, a top contender. He's just not a world champion type guy. And the same issues that plagued him at 145 are going to start to rear their head at 135. And that's, I don't think he's got great cardio. I think the longer these fights go, he's going to start to fatigue himself. When you look at his recent run, uh, the Volkanovski fight, he loses. Marlon Moraes, he loses. Peter Jan, he loses. All of those fights, he arguably has a very strong start in. It's the later the fight. Look at Jan. Dude apparently won a round off Peter Jan, which I think is incredible. I thought Jan did a great job of controlling the majority of the fight, but Aldo was in it early. It's the longer these things go, he gets stretched out, he loses. Now, in a three-round fight, tailor-made for a guy like Jose Aldo because, yeah, five-round, maybe he's going to fatigue a little bit late. Maybe his durability is not quite what it used to be. In a three-round fight, this is for him. So he takes on Marlon Vera. I'm all over him. I believe you're on the same page. We, we, we like some Jose Aldo in this fight. First round, as he always does, he looks awesome. He looks like Jose Aldo. The thing there is that Vera loses the first round in almost every single fight he's ever been in, so that wasn't unusual. In the second round, you already see Aldo start getting figured out. Now, all of a sudden, his striking is not quite as explosive. He's not digging to the body anymore. He's not moving quite as well. Marlon Vera works his way back into the second round of that fight and wins the second. Now, we get a 1-1 going into the third. The live betting market is on Marlon Vera's side. Looks like Jose Aldo is getting tired. Jose Aldo's striking has gotten figured out. What's he going to do? And for the first time in a very, very long time, Paul, he he relied on his grappling. And you never see him do that at all. But he got a quick back take at the beginning of the third, and he held on to that position for the entirety of the round. Mm -hmm. That secured him a victory over Marlon Vera. To me, 
that was really writings on the wall. Marlon Vera is a fine contender, but he's a top 15 guy at best. This is a very talent-rich division, so that's not a disrespectful comment towards him. It's, you know, he's, he is a top-end guy. But the manner in which how that fight went down, it was like, oh, man, he looked worse in there than he did against Peter Yanni. He looked worse than he did in the Marias fight. He looked worse than he did in the Volkanovski fight. It's just more trending downward. So the thing with Pedro Munoz is this guy refuses to go away. He does not go away, Paul. He's got excellent cardio. He's got a cast iron chin. And he's just in your face the entire time. Be a good live betting opportunity to yeah. take Munoz after he probably drops the first round on the basis of he is still fighting Jose Aldo. But in the second and third round, Aldo will start to slow. Pedro Munoz will not slow. And whereas he was able to resort with the grappling to beat Chito Vera, that's off the table here. What are you going to do? Grapple Pedro Munoz, please. Not going to happen. Mm. So I, I think it's a it's a solid opportunity for one Pedro Munoz, who again comes in as a minus one hundred five. He's the slight underdog. I'd like to say straight up, he's an underdog. I got me an underdog play, but I think that this is a good live betting opportunity. He drops the first, rallies back in the second and the third, breaks him on pace, um, breaks him on volume, doesn't get knocked out, which is a staple here. Jose Aldo needs to either knock you out. Or, you know, you'll be able to fight your way back into it. Munoz's durability is going to be key for us here as well. And as far as the over-under, uh, they got it over two and a half at minus 225. So there's just not enough there for me. And both these guys are durable. I do see this thing probably going to decision. Probably be a Pedro Munoz by decision Scary. on the basis of winning two of the three. We're but there's not enough, I know. There's not, there's not enough value there. I think I just want Pedro straight up. And you're right. It's in Texas. And Jose Aldo's a fan favorite. And he's a big name. And so these close swing rounds could in fact go towards Jose Aldo, but I can't think about that, you know, I, especially cause I'm getting the underdog anyways. Right. So ah, well, it's a dog or pass situation for me. Yeah. I got, I got Pedro is the main thing. That's fair. I can understand that. Uh, you know, the, your mindset there. Yeah. I think uh, Jose Aldo will probably look good. His boxing super, super solid. It'll look really, really good early, but the pace definitely does slow down. And he brought up a good point in terms of, you know, being able to cling on like like he did against Cheeto Vera, probably not an option in this fight. I'm interested potentially in the under here. We'll see. We'll see how these guys look on the scales this week. But I think under two and a half rounds at plus one seventy five. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the amount of like leg kicks that I imagine both of these guys are just going to be just buckling each other with. Um. And then that opens up for like straight shots right down the pipe as well. I'm not. I'm not sold that it's you know. An eight, uh, 70 percent of the time that this thing gets to the decision. So we'll see how they look on the scale. Jose Aldo at one thirty-five. Obviously, he's looked. He's done a pretty good job of getting there in his previous fights. But uh, yeah, he's he's getting older. Every single every single time he gets out there, obviously it's going to get a little bit more difficult. Vicente Luque takes on Michael Chiesa. Vicente Luque a minus one thirty favorite. Michael Chiesa can be had. Four plus one ten. Who you got here? You know what? Vincente Luque has been incredibly generous to us. He's got 16 fights in the UFC, and then my official record on Luque fights is 15 and one. Uh, got him in his loss against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Did not get him in that loss to Leon Edwards once upon a time. And uh, outside of that, it's just he's been very predictable. He's a great striker. He's a great volume guy. And he's someone that you can rely on. He's got a good enough chin. He's willing to go out on a shield. He fights through the death every time. He's always in it. He pushes an incredible pace. There's all, all great qualities that you can like about him. However, we did bet him in his UFC debut was the Ultimate Fighter finale. Uh, you and I both had Michael Graves, and Graves proceeds to go get those seven takedowns. The Leon Edwards fight, Leon Edwards proceeds to go take on uh, three takedowns. Those are the twice- 
most times he's been taken down. And then Steven Thompson, you know, he's a wonderful striker. So no takedowns in that fight. But what I'm getting at is the key to beating Vincente Luque seems to be take this fight to the ground. Why would you want to stand in front of him? He's got pace for days. He stings you. He's always in your face. You hit him back. You hit him with one great shot and he's back returning fire with two good ones of his own. It's a very tough thing to deal with mentally and physically that he's in your face all the time. And if this was to be even remotely a striking battle, he is going to absolutely kill Michael Chiesa. But Michael Chiesa's got enough ring IQ to realize that's the case, and I think he mixes up the takedowns. When you look at uh, when you look at Vincente Luque, it's actually been pretty generous, right? But his, his entire run, Hater uh, Hassan is a brawler. Um, Alfredo Herrera, right, is a brawler. Hector Urbina, I don't even know what he does well, Paul. Bilal Muhammad is a generalist. Nico Price is a calculator brawler. Chadler Priest is a striker. Jalen Turler is a striker. Brian Barberina is a brawler. Derek Krantz can wrestle, although surely he's outmatched in that fight. He's not really a great wrestler. Mike Perry is a brawler. Steven Thompson is a high-level striker technician, right? Nico Price, again, he's a calculated brawler. Randy Brown is a striker. Tyron Woodley is shot to bits. So he actually hasn't ever really had to face a style like this. I'm sure he does in the gym all the time, but in an actual fight situation, it's going to be a lot different. And again, he has given up takeouts to Randy Brown, Nico Price, uh, Derek Krantz. Those guys are able to take him down. It almost feels like Michael Chiesa is going to be able to do exactly that. Since moving up to 170 pounds, and he's not absolutely just destroying his body, making 55, the dude's filled out and he's extremely strong. And again, if you want to look by the numbers, he's completing multiple takedowns in all these guys. He absolutely destroyed both of us in that last fight against Neil Magny. Neil Magny knows how to wrestle, and he's got great cardio, and he should be able to keep his fight standing long enough to inflict some damage. But it's like, my God, Chiesa is just very, very strong, very physical guy. And once he gets a hold of you, he peels you to the ground. And therein lies the problem. Once you are on the ground, he's a wet blanket. Like, he is just looking to suffocate you and smother you. And in a five-round fight, I could see someone tiring him out, keep it standing. But in a three-round fight, it's going to be extremely effective. You want to talk about numbers like his wrestling? Great. He took down Magni four times. He took down uh, Rafael Desanio six times. He took down Diego Sanchez five, Carlos Conor four. I'm not talking about that. I want to talk about the strict fact that he's not striking when he's on the ground. In 50, sorry, in 25 minutes against Neil Magni, 25 minutes, he landed 24 significant strikes. Against Rafael Desanos, he went 15 full minutes, nine significant strikes. Against Diego Sanchez, who he put a beating on, Still only 47 significant strikes. And that's because he doesn't open up when he's on the ground. Positionally, he's just keeping you down there. And again, it's not the prettiest of tactics, but it's extremely effective. So I'm a Luque fan. Kiesa, sure, I, I, I enjoy his work, but I'd love to see Luque win. But really, I want to bet on the winning side of things. And on the winning side of things is grappling tends to be a little more winning some than, than striking. The ability to get this guy, peel him to the ground, and then just neutralize him, not do anything. Luque, we've seen him kick ass in striking battles. But we've not seen anybody go out there and wet blanket him in quite some time. And the two guys that did both had a lot of success and were able to defeat him. So as much as I don't want to do it, I feel like I have to do it. And so I am going to take Michael Chiesa. It is probably going to be by decision. And again, at plus 110, it's an underdog play. So uh, sign me up for some Chiesa plus 110. Yeah, I'm on the same side as you. I think it's a dogger pass situation. Give me the wet blanket. It may not be pretty. Maybe with the crowd in there too. Maybe that's a little bit more susceptible to like a stand-up type of situation, which could be a little bit scary. But he usually gets to like, he usually gets to half guard while he's down there, and and you know keeps like busy enough to not get stood up. It's a pretty effective strategy. Or he's like you know fishing for your back, getting back control. And once he gets the uh, the body triangle, and he's pretty solid. 
I'm with you. Uh, not a spot I love, though. Um, I, I think the over two and a half rounds is what I would be more interested in here. Kiesa's yeah. not really – I don't think he's going to submit Luke per se. Um, I mean, he's looked a lot better at 170 pounds. But, you know, now it's like his fifth time out there. But it, it's all, you know, he's happy to hold position over submission most of the time if, when he gets down there. Um I feel like the durability has always been pretty solid for him. You know, he did get, he's been stunned a few times over the course of his career, but I think over, over two and a half minus 140, I think that's the best, the best bet in this fight. Uh, shall we move on? Yes, sir. All right. We got Tisha Torres taking on Angela Hill. T-Stars minus 140, Hill plus 120, a rematch that nobody really asked for. Um, the last time that they fought, they neither one of these, neither one of them got over 35 significant strikes. Uh, Torres won based on like two takedowns that she got. I mean, the over in this fight juiced up to minus 475. And there's a long trail of blood last time out with all the Tisha Torres by decision bets that went out there and she finally finds the finish out there. So I think, I think Tisha Torres is the better, better athlete, quicker, quicker striker, maybe with a more well-rounded game. Angela Hill tends to throw more volume. Obviously when they fought before she wasn't landing the volume, uh, obviously and and the takedowns mixed in cost her the fight but it was a super 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 close fight like the better strikes were getting landed by angela hill in this spot i mean tight decision texas it, it's kind of tough for me to to feel great about this one i'll lean towards torres what about you yeah tough to feel great you know it's going 15 minutes you know it's going to be relatively competitive and then you got to rely on the judges to get it right so why not just auto span the underdog bet but i i do think tisha torres goes out there and gets the job done. Tisha Torres has looked like a different fighter her last two fights. Mind you, she was coming off a four-fight losing streak against some of the best girls in the sports, Jessica Andrade, Joanny and Jacek, uh, Wiley Zhang, Marina Rodriguez. Like, that's a pretty tough run to go through. Four-fight losing streak, confidence probably low. She comes out there, she gets a win over Brianna Van Buren. She's a dog to Van Buren, who's, you know, very green and inexperienced. That must have felt shitty to see, but she goes out there, performs exceptionally well, Gets the job done. And then it's that last fight against Sam Hughes. Now, mind you, Sam Hughes is not anywhere near Tisha Torres's level. She's not anywhere near any of the level of the fighters that Tisha Torres has fought prior. So, yes, it was going to be a walk in the park for Tisha Torres. But you want to talk about output and volume. She landed 52 significant strikes in one single round flat. Gets the first TKO stoppage win of her career. Uh, not known for someone that goes out there and knocks people out, but she, there was like a swag and a confidence to her. I really enjoyed what I saw. The last time they fought, it was two girls that were pretty comparable strikers. The difference was Tisha Torres had the wrestling advantage. She's able to mix in those two takedowns. And, you know, she did technically outstrike Angela Hill, but it was the ability to mix in the extra takedowns. That's what got the job done. I still think this one goes exactly the same way. They're both getting a little bit older, but Tisha Torres seems like she's coming right into her prime, whereas Angela Hill's a tough gatekeeper. She'll go out there. She'll have an entertaining fight with a lot of girls. They're usually going to decision. They're usually very competitive, but she's not. she's got good output, but she's not particularly very strong, and uh, I just don't think she has much snap on those shots. So Tisha, even though she's not known as a power striker as well, 
she'll get a little bit more done with a little bit less in terms of these Texas judges that are going to be looking at hopefully the movement, the fainting, the noises, and then hopefully the mixed in takedown. So I think Torres goes out there and gets the job done, gets the victory. I, again, it's going to be close. I wouldn't fault you if you went for the underdog of this one, but uh, I think she's got her number. And this one, all bite, should be close and competitive, should go Torres's way. The last thing you got to look at is, again, Torres has looked absolutely on fire those last couple of fights. And when she fights elite-level competition, it's not like she's getting blown out by any stretch of the imagination. And neither is Angela Hill. But when you watch Angela Hill versus Ashley Yotter, her last fight in particular, like we know for certain after watching Yotter last weekend, she's awful. She's awful. Her wrestling is non-existent. Physically, she's just not very strong. She'll span the exact same left hand 10 times in a row. Uh, it was very basic and it was very primitive. And so when I think about Ashley Yoder, I think Tisha Torres right now would probably blitz right through her and cause some serious damage. Meanwhile, Hill's got to stay away from her. She's unable to hurt her with anything of note. She gets taken down twice. Like, it's still relatively competitive enough. I mean, Hill definitely won the fight, don't get me wrong, but... I just feel like Torres is operating on a slightly higher level. So that's all I really got to say about that. Give me the tiny tornado. And obviously she is the slight favorite, but again, at minus 140, that's not a bad price tag. If you were going to take either one of these girls, I think you owe it to yourself to take them by decision and try mm-hmm. to improve the price a little bit because at 475, the line makers knows it's uh, going that over two and a half, likely going to decision. And I would think that if you've got Hill or if you've got Torres, you're probably thinking that that fighter will win by decision so might as well try to juice it up a bit and torres by decision plus 100 plus money man wow very barely but i mean it's mean, even, even one of those situations where it probably <laughs> does go to decision angela hill has yeah. been very durable over the course of her career i mean you're not getting too much but it's that's like seven eight percent uh winning probability that you get and it's very very likely that this goes to decision um, all right, we got Casey Kenny taking on Song Yadong. Straight pick them. Who you got? I'm having trouble to get a lean on it, but I think that your best bet is to. I think I'm going to go Kitty, but I think my best bet will be to take Kinney after the first round. I think he's probably going to drop this first round to Song Yadong. Song's extremely talented, but see, he's still only 23 years old. He's still got some learning to do. I know he's got 20 professional fights at 23, which is impressive. He's got a, actually a pretty good wealth of knowledge now in the UFC, having fought top guys like Cody Stamen and uh, Marlon Vera. Like he's definitely building up his resume, but I think you can still break this guy the deeper you take him into fights. And even though he's got the talent for the first round, hang with Casey Kinney. Kinney's one of these guys that is a bit of a slow starter, but is never going away. You're not submitting him. You're not knocking him out. He's got fairly good cardio, so he should be there for the duration of the fight. Again, Song Yudong will just mention his last three fight in particular. So the Cody Stamen fight, he starts off well, but... His volume's not quite there. That's one thing about him. He's winning the exchanges. He's landing the better shots, but he gets outworked a lot. And so I thought Cody Stamen did an excellent job of winning that fight. And in fact, Cody Stamen actually, Song Yudong loses a point due to an illegal knee. And yet somehow it was still a draw, 28-28. The judges had given two rounds to Song Yudong and plus the 10-8 round. That got a 10-8. That, that made a draw against Cody Stamen. But again, I didn't think he looked good at all in that fight next fight against marlon vera it's a basically the same thing he starts off very well the first round is song Yudong all day looks this is a scary talent in the second round this is a toss-up round maybe song Yudong won maybe marlon vera won but what you notice is marlon's doing what he always does which is slow start work his way back into it and song is again slowing down in that third round it's all marlon vera you know that's the clearest round of the entire fight song Yudong is again tired 
So now you look at him and Kyler Phillips last time out. Kyler Phillips not really known as a cardio machine himself. And so they both start to slow down. But again, the takedowns are there for him. The, the slightly, not the output, um, but the mixing in those takedowns in. And so again, if we're looking at those last three fights, him versus Kyler Phillips, he lands 67 significant strikes. Over the course of 15 minutes, it's not high output. Him versus Marlon Vera was high output, but again, he fatigued in that fight. And versus him versus Cody Stamen, 30 landed. Casey Kinney, he's, he's got better volume. Again, I hate looking too much into numbers, but the Nathaniel Woods fight, 123 landed. The mm-hmm. Haile Yalatang fight, 109 landed. Dominic Cruz is a very, very evasive fighter. He's very hard to track and very hard to hit. He still goes out there and lands 74. And then there's Lewis Smolka fight. It's a first-round finish. It lasted three minutes. And he landed 32 significant strikes. He gave up 12 takedowns to Murad Vashvili. Still landed 45 significant strikes. So he works a lot in that space. When he's up on his feet, he's going to be working. He's going to be trying to apply some pressure. I don't think Song Yudong takes him down. Therefore, it's probably going to be a stand-up out. Casey Kinney may be able to work in some takedowns of his own. He's got a decent judo background. He's also someone that wrestled collegiately. So maybe he can mix in takedowns the way some of these other guys have been able to do to Song Yudong. But beyond that, it's the volume down the stretch. Probably lose the first round. Keep that second round tight. Hopefully Texas awards it to you. And in the third round, I expect Song Yudong to be tired again and Casey Kinney to be uh, applying the pressure. So it'd be a good live betting opportunity. It's a close fight. Totally agree. Again, this is a fight that you could go either side. There's no right or wrong answer. Come Saturday night, we'll figure out who, who's the real truth. But uh, but I would think that Casey Kinney. And I strongly think this thing's going the distance. So Casey Kinney by decision. Yep, Casey Kenny by decision. DraftKings Sportsbook plus one fifty. Don't hate it. That's I I can't really say too much more to what you talked about on that fight. It's I think it's just like a volume play. But uh, yeah, losing round one could is very much in the cards if if he's not able to like secure an early takedown and uh, impose his will that way. Moving on down, we got Rafael Fizayev taking on Bobby King Green. Fazayev minus 310. Green plus 245. Who you got? I would think, and I mean, I can be completely wrong on this and I'll look like a fool, but I would think Rafael Fazayev would absolutely have a walk in the park with Bobby Green. I don't really know where Bobby Green threatens this man anywhere. Yeah, there was a time, you know, Fazayev would have been considered a little bit one dimensional. He comes in with an extremely good striking pedigree. He likes to do the Sanchai rollback, you know, Matrix style fighter. Big, big, heavy hooks, big power in his, in his kicks. But you know what? He's, he's a one-dimensional grappler. Take this guy down. Once you take this guy down, he's easy money in the bank. And boy, oh boy, has he worked a lot on his wrestling defense. Out of Tiger Muay Thai, he's got strong, strong hips. Tiger Muay Thai is currently closed due to the pandemic, so I'm sure he's been training elsewhere. But you do see a lot of good progression coming in. I touted this guy as legit when he made his debut against Magomed Mustafaev. <laughs> and he got spinning back, kicked in the mm-hmm. face, and got knocked out. So, I mean, again, that's the game. That's the game. Since then, he's looked uh, at build as advertised. You know, he beats up Alex White. Um, that's just him getting that first win into the UFC. Okay, we're going to see a better version the next time out against Dia Casey. And he looked like a much better version of himself. And then the Hanato Maikano fight. I mean, that's... You know, that's painting a masterpiece for a young fighter. I mean, you were building. You were unable to knock out Alex White. You're building in the UFC. And now you go out there against Moicano. He took a couple zingers from Hanato Moicano. And, I mean, his chin checked out pretty good. His striking was on point. He batted this man around. Moicano shot a couple decent takedowns as well. And, my God, did he ever look strong in those scrambles and just stuffed everything. Like, Moicano was not able to drive through, not able to grab a limb, not able to do anything, rendered completely 
neutralized and then knocked out four minutes into the first round. That's a very high quality win. I think that this guy, uh, you know, I won't call him the truth just yet, but like he, he's he's going a long way to improving in all areas of the sport. Bobby Green, meanwhile, is just way too lax a days ago. I mean, he clowns his way in there. You can never bet Bobby Green in any commission, let alone a Texas commission, on the simple basis of it's like he just always clowns around. He's got the worst ring IQ going. Uh, tight rounds, he'll just give to his opponent on the basis of not doing anything. He is a good, sharp, technical boxer. The problem is his hands are way too low. And whereas that's going to be good to counter off those leg kicks, he's way too flat-footed. His legs are going to get chopped away. His wrestling's not good enough to take down Fizeev. He's are not going sure to stand. I, I I think so. Bobby Green's not a wrestler. Fizeev's not a great wrestler himself. I'm seeing massive improvements, and I think he's caught up yeah, to Bobby's Yeah, but level. like against Dia Casey, against Alex White, Moicano's not exactly a great a great wrestler. Moicano's he's a great grappler when he gets down there, but I don't you know, like Bobby man. Green's wrestling? They're, they're making you pay to play on Rafael, or Rafael Fizeev in this spot. Absolutely. I think it's, I think I think it's risky be... biz. I, Bobby Green in an alternate universe... He's on a seven-fight winning streak right now. But you know why he's not on that seven-fight winning streak? Because judging his is style, horrible. His style, his style is not friendly to judging, right? Judging's bad in general, but his style of getting punched in the face and then shaking your <laughs> no, head, no, right? That, right? That, 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 right, it, does not, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because they're you're, like, you're oh, that, that hit him. That that hit clean, for sure. Anytime he does that, it's like it works again. He's his own worst enemy, <laughs> It does the exact opposite that he, that he thinks it does. Uh, yeah, yeah. Listen, the price is huge. You're 100% right about that. It's a big price. It's tempting. It looks good for Bobby Green. But again, Bobby Green should have beaten Tiago Moises, right? He outstruck him 85 to 42. But it's these lulls in the action in which he just hands the rounds over. It's tough to watch. Um, again, he at him at his best, he's a smooth operator. Good counter-striking, good technical boxing. Really much the only guy that is the, the, the Philly shell, like the shoulder roll in, in MMA. And he gets away with it. The wrestling's okay. The submission defense is okay. The cardio, because he doesn't overexert himself half the time, is pretty okay. His chin, solid. But against like a hungry go-getter that's going to be aggressive and is not going to play this lackadaisical slot box game, I think he's in a lot of trouble. And that's the key difference here, right? Bobby Green's last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine fights have all gone to decision, right? Mm -hmm. Prior to that, he got knocked out by Dustin Poirier. And then the three fights prior to that all went to decision. The last time he finished a man, he kicked James Krause in the balls. And the ref was tired of watching the fight. So he eventually just said, you know what? It was a kick to the body. Let's just go home, right? He's not a power puncher. And I, I do think no. that's going to be the cardinal difference. He's going to touch Rafael Fazeev with a couple shots from range. But I don't know that the judges are going to be like, oh, yeah, he's working this guy over. Whereas Fazeev's going to land these big eye-catching shots. He's going to have the crowd live in attendance going, whoa, when he fades off something, when he goes for the big head kick, when he chops those lead legs away from Bobby Green. So I'm going to agree with you. The price is a little bit too wide, and Bobby would, would be very wise to wrestle. But Bobby's not wise to anything. He's running IQ ranks but amongst the rules. So I just, I got to go with Fazeev. Here, here's my hot take on it, though. If yeah, you were yeah, going to me. bet about, like, I think Bobby Green is criminal, like, is underrated in terms of his overall skill set. Now, like a lot of his recent fights, they've been hanging big, big numbers on him. And because of his poor decision making and his anytime he gets hit, shaking his head was just cues to the judges like, yeah, that one hurt him, um, which is something he does that I think is incredibly stupid. But at least this time you're getting the right price on him to play. I actually think it's a dog or pass situation. I think it's 
Bobby Green. Bobby Green by decision. What does that pay? Looking up on DraftKings Sportsbook now. Got to switch tabs. <laughs> One second here. Yeah, Bobby Green by decision is right. Sorry, another tab. Bobby Green by decision is plus four hundred. I think that's I think that's the, uh, actually, the yeah, side I prefer. Um, right. If it's even relatively close, if he's able to mix in a couple takedowns, I'm just not completely sold that Fazayev is going to be able to stop the takedowns. It it's scary, but I mean, at least they're giving you the right price. Like when we were playing Bobby Green at minus three hundred, it's just like you kind of open the door to get screwed on the other side. But now they're, I think he's a lot better than, than this price dictates. And Fazayev, you know, has that finishing ability, but Bobby Green is durable as durable can be. I think his dog or pass at this price in terms of, you know, if it was all things equal, Fazayev, I think wins this fight 60, 65% of the time. But uh, I think it's a little overvalued from what, for what we've seen from Fazayev at this point. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only our favorite sportsbook at the Dogger Pass podcast, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. Speaking of America, the top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the Golden DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for listeners of the Dogger Pass podcast. Listen to this. Place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on an American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. 100 to 1 odds on an offer like this does not come around very often, so sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now and get in on all the action. We love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It's easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on the action. Our friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and we know you will too. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP, Dogger Pass, when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a medal. That's code DOP to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We move on. We got Draco Rodriguez taking on Vince Morales. Straight pick him. Who you got? Did I ever mention you about bad ring IQ? Well, Vince Morales is another one of these guys that falls into the bad ring IQ category. He's got a wrestling base. The guy's a wrestler. He's from Oregon, right? His cousin is Ricky Simone, also from Oregon. There's a wrestling family. Whereas Ricky goes out there and just routinely dumps his opponent to the canvas, Vince Morales has a 0% takedown accuracy. And that's because he's got zero takedowns completed in the UFC. And that is because he's attempted zero takedowns in the UFC. And so as a non-striker, he goes out there and he strikes, but it's just so general. He has no X factor. He has nothing big. I mean, yeah, he did score a knockdown against Benito Lopez in the first, and he did score a knockdown against Domingo Plarte, but he actually hasn't knocked out an opponent 
in three and a half years. His kick game is not quite there. His leg kicks are always susceptible for the kick for uh for the counters. I mean, he got his leg beat up good against Benito Lopez, but was fine. But then his subsequent fight against Chris Gutierrez gets his absolute leg chewed off. So he got knocked down twice in that, just on the basis of he couldn't stand. And eventually the, the ref mercilessly stops the fight in the second. But with Chris Gutierrez, he's not a big finisher as well. He got the finish on the basis of some leg kicks here. But that's that's kind of unusual for him. So there's not a whole lot to like from Vince Morales right off the hop. Then he ends up losing this fight against Chris Gutierrez. And then he takes a, over a year off with a torn or a ruptured Achilles tendon. So he's been rehabbing a pretty serious injury. He hasn't fought in over a year. He hadn't really given great results prior to that. You can point out a couple high spots for him in that, okay, he's got four fights in the UFC versus one for Draco Rodriguez. So, so experience is going to go towards Vince Morales. Um, the one fight that, that Rodriguez has had in the UFC, he lost to Eamon Zahabi, whereas Vince Morales, that's the one win he's had was against Eamon Zahabi. So he's mm -hmm. operating on a slightly higher level. Losses to Song Yadong and Chris Gutierrez, I'll give you a pass on those, man, for sure. Song Yadong is legit fighting on this card. is moving his way into the top 25, top 20 of the division. And uh, Chris Gutierrez, I'm high up on this guy, especially if you want to stand in front of him and strike him. But why would anybody want to stand in front of Chris Gutierrez and strike him? Why wouldn't you take him down? He has lackluster takedown defense, and he showed in the Cody Durden fight that there's a very obvious path to victory there. And yet Vince Morales, holding that exact wrestling advantage, chooses not to use it and gets his leg kicked off. So as far as decision-making skills go, I just I can't get behind Vince Morales. As far as him keeping these fights standing, what has he got? A right hand over the top? He routinely allows himself to get outworked by his opponents. That's what I don't like. I'll give him one thing on this Benito Lopez lost two fights back, is that he's universally pretty much believed to have won the fight. I believe 11 MMA media members scored it on MMA decisions, all 11 gave him the fight and four of them had him winning 30 27 so you know that's the problem with judges everybody else thinks that he won that fight and yet benito lopez ends up with the decision but re-watching it i mean he gets outworked hard in the first round i mean the, he all he's doing is just getting leg kick leg kick leg kick with about a minute left he drops benito lopez with the overhand right falls him to the ground and then about 10 seconds of being on the ground just backs away stands up and lets him up now you could say lets him up oh, okay you want to you want to get his back standing, you hurt him. But it's like he, he wasn't throwing enough shots standing. And also, you got this guy hurt on the ground, and you did not want to grapple with him. Even though he was hurt, he did not want to engage in the grappling. He's not confident in his grappling. That's why he's not wrestling. He allows himself to just be way too one-dimensional with his striking. Now, the problem with that one-dimensional striking, again, is I'm just going to bring it to the numbers. There's just He seems like he's just too content. He stands there a lot of the time. You know, the fight with Chris, Chris Gutierrez, he got outstruck 60 to 8, right? He didn't land anything. The fight before that against Benito Lopez, this is a this is a, a good performance from him. He lands 64. 64 over a 15-minute uh, period of time. I just don't think it's enough. The Eamon Zahabi fight, Eamon only landed 28. It's 59 and 28. It, it's a low-scoring affair. A lot of his fights are just kind of a little too lackadaisical, and they spend too much time just kind of staring at each other. They, it looks like a lot of sparring matches. Draco, dude, you could point out a ton of holes in Draco's game. I mean, he's 0-1 in the UFC. He got knocked out by Eamon Zahabi, who was not on a particularly good run. The kid's still very young. He's only 25 years old. Maybe durability is a question. He's giving up the experience advantage to Morales. There's a zillion different reasons why you could fade this guy. And to be honest, I mean, hearing myself say it out loud, maybe we should be fading this guy. But I think his technical boxing is a little bit sharper. He's got better output. He is definitely faster. And he's got a decent light kick of his own. I think if he minds his P's and Q's, stays to the outside, he's going to have that speed advantage from the outside. 
uh, land combinations and get out of the way. Vince is just going to watch him. He spends too much time watching, whereas Rodriguez should work, work, work. If durability is an issue and he gets knocked out here, okay, now we know. Now now we'll have to consider him a chinny fighter moving forward. But one loss to Eamon Zahavi, first time he had been knocked out. Only other losses to Tony Gravely, who's a stud. Uh, yeah, like I, I'm willing to give a young guy a pass on something like that. One of his weaknesses as well is he's not, his jiu-jitsu is okay, but his takedown defense is no good. You know, he's more or less a boxer. And so in this fight, it's great because I don't think Vince Morales is going to attempt to get this fight to the ground. So hopefully the kid's confidence is not shook. He's taken enough time to clear the cobwebs. And again, you got Morales coming off a ruptured Achilles tendon. So if he's not quite as quick and athletic as he used to be, and he wasn't all that quick and athletic to begin with, I think Rodriguez is just going to be the sharper guy. So yeah, it's a pick him. It's a close fight. Uh, it's hard to get a very strong, confident lean out of his side. But I think Draco Rodriguez is going to get the job done. And again, I think this one goes 15 minutes and it'll be Rodriguez by decision. There's a lot of fights on this card that we feel like are going to go to decision. It's yeah, gonna, it it's could last. <laughs> I mean, we haven't been in Texas in a while, and that's always been the running joke. I, I'm fully expecting to see a lot of angry people on Twitter because it seems like a lot of people are split on a lot of these close fights, and uh, we're in Texas, baby. So uh, buyer beware. Don't don't say you didn't know that things were going to go the opposite way. Because <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's been happening in Vegas recently too. It, it it's the nature of the beast. You can't. If you like a certain side and you like, then then you then you just go with it as it is. But uh, but yeah, that's just it's the nature of the beast. So be prepared because Texas has always had some of the most uh, egregious of calls historically. All right, Alonzo Menafield takes on Ed Herman. Menafield a minus two forty favorite. Herman can be had for plus one ninety five. I mean, conventional wisdom would say Alonzo Menafield probably lands, probably lands early and gets Ed Herman out of there. But Ed Herman at 205 pounds, the durability has held up. He's 40 years old. He's slow as molasses. But if he can extend this a little bit, like every single Menafield fight, Menafield's cardio after the first five minutes drops off a damn cliff. Probably a fight that you want to pay more attention to in the live markets because they're making you pay up to uh, to to bet the much better athletes at this at this point specifically in their careers in meta field but uh i don't know i don't i know last time out he was fabio charant and you know he got the uh the von pru choke got the job done there but this guy until you see gas a gas tank that's able to go after the first seven minutes or so it's hard to feel great about laying the wood on him but uh, I'll pick him to win. No way I'm touching the minus 240. What about you? I hear you, dude. Actually, a, a younger Ed Herman, a slightly closer to prime version of Ed Herman, wins this fight for sure, man. He's got all the tools. He's a grinder. He's got good, strong wrestling, BJJ black belt, good cardio, decent enough striking, and extremely durable. I mean, these are all great things that you would need to beat Alonzo Menafield, but... We're getting a 40-year-old version of short fuse. He has not looked particularly great in a little while. And I totally understand he's coming into this fight on a three-fight winning streak. But it's just like, oh, man. That last time out against Mike Rodriguez, he didn't look good. He got dropped. He probably should have got TKO'd. However, the referee thought it was a groin strike. He buys himself a little bit of time. And then, wouldn't you know it, in the third round, ends up winning the fight with a Kimura. Before that, Katie Sabragamov, you know, 0-3 in the UFC for a reason. Might have been one of the biggest frauds in UFC, recent UFC memory. And then Pat Cummings, no longer with the promotion, just not a very durable enough guy. So, yes, he's on this three-fight winning streak, 
But I think a lot of it is fighting these these lower end guys who are also on their way out. Menefield was a big bust. When he came over to the UFC, he looked like sky was the limit. Dusted everybody on the regional scene in the first round. I mean, made it to the second round like once. It was like 25 seconds in. Goes to the contender series and just kills Deshaun Boatwright. Now he's in the UFC and it's like, again, it's a continuation. This guy looks legit. He knocks out Paul Craig, which, you know, in high insight, it's a nice win, mm-hmm. man. Solid win. Paul Craig's legit talent. Legit guy. And, and then... You know, the fight with Devin Clark, the subsequent fight with OSP, he doesn't look himself. Cardio is definitely an issue. I totally get it. Is this guy a bust? Likely. Is he a one-round fighter? Likely. But those guys made him work a little bit. Well, at least in Devin Clark's case, he grinded up against him. Eyes swollen shut after the first, Devin Clark says. Tired, you know, hurt in that first three, three and a half minutes. And then just perseveres, grinds him, finally gets him down in the third round and has his way with him. Auburn St. Prue, he fought super tentative, like he didn't want to overexert himself, and it, it was a bad night. He landed nothing of note and then eventually got knocked down in the second. I thought this guy was done. I thought, you know what, he can beat. He was supposed to fight William Knight, and I had picked William Knight. William Knight gets canceled. You get Fabio Charant. I'm not an idiot, right? So now we're on Menafield, and Menafield walks right through a minute and 11 seconds. But I remember everyone online was like, dude, Menafield's back, man. He fixed those mistakes. It's like, how do you know he fixed the mistakes? Mm-hmm. It lasted a minute and 11. So I agree. It's like I'm very interested in seeing him go to those rounds. He is 33. So how much could he improve? I don't know. But he was very green in his career, man. I mean, he came off a regional scene where he fought nobody and walked right through them to taking on Paul Craig and, to a lesser extent, Devin Clark, Auburn St. Prue, a former world title challenger. It wasn't exactly the easiest run, so he's learning on the job. I do expect him to get a little bit better here. What you do notice in a lot of these fights, the Devin Clark fight, he swarms him early. Fabio obviously swarmed him early. All of his regional scene fights and his contender series fights, he swarms him early. If he swarms Herman early, Mm -hmm. he's got a good chance of getting the knockout, I think. If he gasses himself trying, then live bet Herman after the first round. You're going to get a huge plus money tag on it, and you'd be fading that gas tank of Alonzo Menafield. But I think he's able to pull it together. So I got to go with him. Herman, meanwhile, did not look good that last time against Mike Rodriguez. And then you got to factor in that that was, you know, a year ago. So he's 40 years old now. He pulled out of his last fight just five weeks ago. Five weeks ago, he pulled out of a fight with Danilo Marquez, which would have been a lot more favorable than this one as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, what's ailing him? Is it injuries? Is his body finally shutting down? He's had a lot of pro fights, man. He's had a lot of pro experience. I just feel like Menefield's got a little bit more to offer. So a younger, better version of Herman. I think he's got all the tools in the world. This version of Herman, I think he's going to come up short. So Menefield, uh, Menefield by, I want to say Menefield by knockout, but at the very least, probably just go that under two and a half. Cool. All right. We got uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz taking on Jessica Penne. Minus 125 Kovalkiewicz, plus 105 Penne. I saw you uh, making a stink on Twitter. About this fight. And I mean, there's there's a lot of truth to it. Well, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, four-fight losing streak. I mean, the, the conventional wisdom, the general take, I think that's probably out there, is that she's the better striker than Jessica Penne. Um, and Penne probably probably won't have the wrestling to, to take her down. And, uh, and control her on the mat. You know, Penne used to be a... Uh, an atom weight when, when she was at like the peak of her career back in the day. And I think I saw a report what not that long ago, maybe like six months ago or so. Wasn't there something about like Carolina had some like real mental health issues and stuff heading into this fight? I see on her Instagram that she's been training with JJ. That can only help her. 
I mean, you seem to have some really hot takes on this one, so why don't you take it away? It seems like everybody wants to get on some Karolina Kovacavich, and that was my initial, you know, when I looked at this matchup and I saw a close, a, a close competitive line. That's my take as well, but seems like something rubs you the wrong way. No, nothing rubs me in the wrong way. It's a, it's a real question. I, mean, I think Carolina Kovalkiewicz should be a big favorite over Jessica Panay. And the, really, this one doesn't come down to skill. It doesn't come down to recent history because, again, she's been fighting some of the best girls in the sport. It comes down to a pure speculation and a pure, purely narrative. Does Carolina Kovalkiewicz still want to do this? And that's the million-dollar question to me personally because she just doesn't seem all that motivated in there anymore. She got to the mountain peak at least she could have when she fought Joanny and Jacek. And uh, actually, if you remember, I think she heard Joanne in like the fourth round, maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. caught her in the fourth, won the like fourth round against Joanna. Spinning back fist or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it ended up being, she ended up losing a 49-46, I think, right across the board. So it was like, oh, you took a, a round over the pound-for-pound pound goat at the time. Like, this is pretty high-level stuff. And then the next fight, she lasted three minutes against Claudia Gedalia. So you went from a 25-minute performance against the goat last in three minutes it's a bitter it's a would be a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of fighters sorry phone's ringing uh moving on she beats jody escabel okay be jody escabel strange right then she beats felice herrig she lost the third round against felice herrig and that's why i had tweeted out she's lost her last 11 rounds in a row because she lost all three rounds against jan her last time out she lost all three rounds against alexa grosso the fight before that she lost all three rounds against michelle watterson that's nine straight rounds she lost the single round that she fought Jessica Andrade for, getting knocked out in a minute 58. And then she lost that third round against Felice Herrig on all three judges' scorecards. So effectively, the 11 straight rounds, which, by the way, is this period of 40 months. Last time she won, this is actually, you know, kind of coincidental. It's not ironic. But the last time she won a round was April 7th, 2018. And this fight is August 7th, 2021. So it's been 40 months to the day. <laughs> that she's won a single round in MMA competition. And yet where we want to bank on this girl to win the fight. Now I'll admit it's just like, it's easy to say, well, she's not winning, but who is she fighting? Andrade pass. Michelle Watterson, give you a pass there too. Lexa Grosso, pff, I'll give you a pass there too. Jan, her last time out. Pff. Jan was looking like a world beater until Carlos Spars absolutely just blitzed through her. Mm -hmm. So again, Carolina is fighting good competition. In fact, the great competition. competition. Yeah, the best competition available. And you know what? Not a terrible account of herself. She landed 90 strikes against Alexa Grasso. You know, she was very competitive against Michelle Watterson, despite not winning a single round. Um, in that regard, you give her a pass. Now, so we've got a talented fighter with lots of experience, a lot of high upside that we just don't know she's motivated. It looks like her spirit's broken. You see her in there and she's just, she hasn't got that same smile that she used to. She also is now 35 years old, right? So... I, 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 we're not getting the best version of her. We're getting potentially an unmotivated version of her, and that could be a scary thing. The difference with Jessica Penny, because Penny's 38 years old, is that she got three years of her career taken away from her. Mm -hmm. So now that she's back, she is hungry. This is what she wants. This is all she wants to do. And she she's highly motivated. So you've got a lesser skilled fighter that is highly motivated versus the more skilled fighter in Karolina Kovalkiewicz, who there is a bit of question mark on how much she wants it. But that being said, we just talked about the fact that Karolina is world-class, well, is competing against world-class competition and gives an okay account of herself. Whereas Jessica Panay is, that fight with Godin as her last time out, what world did she win that fight, Paul? That one still bothers me. That one still bothers me. The first round, she does nothing, but she happens to take the back. 
Okay. Backpacks her, puts the body triangle in, wins the round. Okay. Second round, she guts all the significant strikes landed from, from Godinez. Penay did not do anything. She did not look particularly good. The third round, she's getting battered around, right? Doesn't land anything. Tries to take the back again. Tries to just backpack her. Doesn't land anything of note. Doesn't have any real control. No real submission attempts. Nobody scored the fight for her, by the way, except for two of the fucking judges. So that's the way MMA goes. I thought Penay did not look good in that fight. The fight three years before that, she actually lost to Danielle Taylor. So she's not operating at a world-class level. She has not looked good. And I didn't think she looked good in the last fight. So just because she's motivated and she really wants it, that's not enough for me. I will go with Karolina Kovacavich, but whereas this should be just like, a, let's hammer this baby home. Mm-hmm. It's like there's, there's buyer beware now because it's like this will probably end up being closer than it needs to be. And last but not least, it's going to decision. This thing's going 15 minutes. And whereas I think Carolina will be awarded the decision on the basis of some slightly better striking over those 15, Godinez was supposed to win as well on the basis of slightly better striking over the course of 15. She just did it. So now you take a relatively competitive fight with close striking numbers and a little bit of grappling that favors Jessica Panay, and you put that in Texas, your guess is as good as mine, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no plus money on either side, right? So you might as well just take the well, fight. there is plus money can... on Jessica Panay, but it just doesn't sound like you want it. No, I don't. What's it sit at, though? Plus 120? Was plus, it... plus 105. Wow, it's not really plus money. Hey, Paul. Is it? You, you, I know what you're saying. I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. We're always right. uh, we're always debating right. these things when you go, oh well, I'll you're take right. the underdog play here on the minus one ten. <laughs> and hey, I, I <laughs> sent you the odd sheet this week, so you. I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking at it right you've here. You got no excuse. You got no excuse. All right, we got Manel Cap taking on Odie Osborne, minus one ninety cap, plus one sixty Osborne. Who you got here? Okay, so Odie Osborne appears to be everybody's darling this week. He seems to be like the, the dog play of the week, and a lot of people like him. And, you know, decent enough odds, don't get me wrong. But, again, I just I got to go back to body of work and, and level of competition. And I think people are looking to fade Manel Cop just because uh, they perceive him as a fraud, right? Certainly he's not what the UFC thought they were getting, but he has such a big reputation in Ryzen, such a big reputation in Japan that when he signed with the UFC, it was almost just like a foregone conclusion that he'd be a, a flyaway contender almost immediately. He debuts against Alexander Pantoja, which is like that's a like that's a tough fight for anybody, let alone a fighter making their debut in North America. And uh, he, he's actually a slight favorite over Pantoja. So we get that the reputation was there. It's a relatively close fight with Alexander Pantoja, but he doesn't throw anything. Man, he's so hesitant. And he does get a couple nice takedowns, and you see physically he's a very, very strong guy, but he just waits till there's like 10 seconds left in the round. Like, what's a, what's a takedown with 10 seconds in a round going to do for you in a round you've otherwise lost? Mm-hmm. So his ring IQ looked bad, his volume looked bad, but I'll give him the pass in that he fought an elite-level competition. His next time out against Matus Nikolau, he drops a split decision. I thought he won that fight. He outstruck Nikolau. I thought he had the better moments. It was a close fight. And again, Matus Nikolau is no joke. He's a, he's a pretty tough guy. I would say that Matus Nikolau and Alexander Pantoja are leaps and bounds better than Ode Osborne, but but again, I mean, Cap looked better in his second UFC fight than he did in his first. I'd expect him to make a slight improvement here as well. We know that he's fast. We know that he's dynamic. We know he's got big punching power as a flyaway. His technical boxing skills are pretty legit. His wrestling's pretty legit. He's a tank of a man. He's difficult to take down. He does have a Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Sorry, brown belt to boot. So there's a lot of stuff that you can like there from Ode Osborne. Meanwhile, lost Brian Kelleher. Sure. No big deal, but Mm -hmm. he won one singular fight over Jerome Rivera by knockout. Sure. Who cares? 
Um, and we're this, this, this is, this is the guy now. This is the guy. So I don't think this is the guy. I think the people are just looking to blindly fade Minnell cap on the basis of, well, you know what? He's lost twice as the favorite now, and he doesn't show up as good as people say he's going to. And uh, he's a busted prospect and he's a fade worthy type fighter, but I give him a pass on. He's been fighting elite level guys. Now they're giving him Ode Osborne for a reason. They pay this guy a lot of money. They want to build him up into a contender. He can still be a contender but he's going to need a run of these good wins, right? Good guys that he can go out there and look good against and back up against the wall, two fight losing streak. I think he's going to come out more aggressive. That that would be the key. So it's no disrespect to Ode Osborne, but I think he's going to want to get this fight to the ground. I don't think he's going to be strong enough to do so. As far as the stand-up game goes, he's a tricky type fighter, but you know, so is Manal Cape, right? I think he's going to be able to do a better job of controlling the distance, even though he's, I think, a bit of a shorter man. I just think Cape probably gets the job done. However, I'm going to agree with everybody. Minus 200 Cape doesn't seem very appealing, you know? Like, are you sorry, minus 190 Cape. It's just not very appealing. He has blown two favorite tickets now. And when you're that lackadaisical, I don't like it. I don't like guys that just believe they're winning the round, so they opt not to do anything. It's very tough to watch, right? And as far as being in Texas goes, if even if Ode Osborne is not the better fighter, he can just do a little bit more. That's the thing, right? They're going to look at Leonard Garcia effect. Oh, this guy's coming forward. This guy's letting his hands go. Ah, this Cape guy's actually landed the only significant strikes of the round, but he's not really doing anything. The other guy's moving forward. Like, that's where you get into trouble. So I'm hoping that Cap goes back to his power days and just knocks this kid out before it gets going because I don't want this to be another decision fight. And whereas I, to this point, believe... <clears throat> Munoz Aldo is going to decision. Kiesa Luque is going to decision. Hill versus Torres is going to decision. Kenny versus Songy Dog is going to decision. I don't think Fazayev and Green is, although it could very well, the way Green's history is especially. Draco versus Morales is likely going to decision. I think Menafield finishes it inside. Carolina versus Penny is going to decision. This one's another one. I don't think I'm going to file it under Ghost decision. I got a feeling that Kappa either catches him or I don't know. I don't know Ode Osborne's path to victory. Does he does he win two of the three rounds on the basis of Cape not doing anything? Or does anybody think that he's gonna cleanly outstrike him or take him down? Like that I'm still struggling a bit on. But anyways, that's why I'm not in my regular studio setup. I'm uh, still on the road. It's my birthday yesterday, so I'm heading back tonight. It's like a five hour drive. So I figured we'd shoot the show and then head back. So, you know, I'm definitely going to retape study as many of these as I can. This one in particular because uh yeah if there is a dog advantage to be gained i want in on it i'm just not quite seeing it as well as everybody else seems to be right now i think the the advantages that people see are a five inch reach advantage for odi osborne and yeah and and generally just the low volume that we've seen from manel cop in his two ufc fights so far um not not a ticket that i'm laying in this situation i think the better more technical striker will prevail here but uh, but yeah, I can understand where people are going with this. Like Manel Cop just doesn't really throw him a, uh, throw enough. Maybe he gets out volume. Maybe that five inches of reach causes some issues for him. And you know, there's always a little bit of a hype um, on somebody coming off of such a, a wicked first round knockout as Osborne did in his last fight. Uh, next true. up is a fight that we already broke down. Miles Johns takes on Anderson Dos Santos. Johns minus two ten. So Santos plus 175 is like COVID protocols like three weeks ago or so. All of these cards kind of just meld into each other at this point that, uh, you know, this fight was scrapped on like the day of the fights or maybe the day before the fights. Uh, you liked John's in the spot. I was saying it was a dog or pass. Has anything changed for you? 
No, nothing's changed for me. I think Miles John still goes out there and gets the win. I think he's got the superior wrestling, superior athleticism. He's, you know, the, the, the knock on him is that he kind of wears himself thin the long, longer the fight goes. I mean, he puts a lot of it, exerts a lot of energy in those early two rounds, especially in the wrestling. I mean, he's a high explosive guy and he'll shoot these takedowns. Problem is, is once he gets guys to the ground, he doesn't have the greatest top control. So they're able to pop back up and then it's just rinse and repeat. But he's like a dog on a bone. He just goes, goes, goes for 10 minutes and all of a sudden he's gassed out. You can point to the Richie Santiago fight on the contender series where he gets tired. You can point to his fights in the UFC where it definitely appears he's slowing down. He slows down against Mario Batista. He gets knocked out. He slowed down big time against Cole Smith. Got his back taken and lost the third round. Cardio seems to be an issue. But that last fight against Kevin Tavidad, not exactly a high-level opponent, but it did seem like he's coming around. He's still young. He's got high-level experience. He's the former LFA champion. He's got a win over Adrian Yanez. I think that there's a lot of good things from Miles Johnson we can like. It's just that he needs to take the proper building blocks in his career so that he doesn't go out there and just, you know, fight too much too soon and get finished or get knocked out or have any big setbacks. Him versus Anderson or Santos makes a lot of sense. Anderson or Santos is best when he's on top using his Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but he's not going to be able to take down Miles Johns. Miles Johns will be able to take down DeSantos. I just don't really know that he wants to. So the move here is keep the fight standing. And what you'll notice is DeSantos is super plodding, hands low, flat-footed, and he's pretty hittable. Whereas Miles Johns going to have to matador a lot of that time. I think he will be able to do it for at least two of, these, two of the three rounds and then survive at the very least. So that's kind of what I'm going on. Uh, the last fight, that's what I believe was going to be the case. It leads up to fight week. That's the case I'm on. That's the sign I'm on. And then, yeah, you're right, COVID protocol. And it was actually Anderson Dos Santos that had tested positive for COVID. So now you just rebook the fight, what, a month later? But, uh, you know, yeah, who, knows if he's been, who knows if he's been able to train since then? Like, who knows right. how all yeah. this so, work? So, so if I had Miles Johns before, I definitely have him now, right? Nothing's changed. And, like, the only one thing that, like, okay, maybe we can take that into consideration was the other guy. The other guy had COVID. So, yeah, like, did he – how are his lungs? Does he have any uh, – does he have any lingering effects? What about his coaching staff? Was, was he be able positive? to – Maybe we, we, yeah. we, don't, we don't have all the answers here, obviously, for this one. I, I don't. But I'm going to have to ride with Miles John for all the same reasons that I thought he'd win last time out. Melissa Gatto takes on Victoria Leonardo straight pick them again. I mean, it's hard. I'm I'm actually in, on my camera right or on my computer right now. I'm watching a little bit of Melissa Gatto tape, and I watched a previous fight of hers where you know she was getting taken down, and she finds a submission from her back. The tape is very very sparse on her. She's making her UFC debut. Leonardo obviously a tough spot coming into her UFC debut taking on uh, Mino Fioro, who's just an absolute freaking monster. So there's not really much shame in that. I think Fioro is one of the, the best people in this division. Is going to work her way up the ranks as we go on here. Do you have a strong lean in this fight? No, not really. Initially, I kind of was interested in taking Victoria Leonardo because it was it's, it's so slight dog status, right? Let me just confirm that. Uh, yeah. No, it's not. It's yeah, minus it, one done either side. It's evened, yeah. it's evened itself out. There was slight dog status on... Uh, on Leonardo earlier in the week. Yeah, and a lot of that is on the basis of if you tape study anything from Gato, it's like she's still extremely green. Her striking is not refined whatsoever. She does her best work with her Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but I believe she's only a listed purple belt. Uh, it's like, yeah, this girl's going to run into some troubles. She's been on a long layoff, and she's pulled out of a lot of fights. I mean, consider this girl got signed to the UFC in 2019, right? May of 2019. She pulls out of a fight with Toledo Bernardo, right? Then she pulls out of a fight with Julia Avila. And then she pulled out of a fight with Maria Agapova. 
And so, you know, she hasn't fought in a long time. She hasn't professionally had a fight in just about three years. And yet, mind you, the fight that she had three years ago was against Carol Rosa. She won. That's a big win. Mm-hmm. Carol Rosa is 3-0 in the UFC. Carol Rosa is 6-1 in her last seven, the one loss being Gato. So props to that one. You can watch that one on YouTube. And what you'll notice is Carol Rosa is a way better striker. And Carol Rosa, for whatever reason, is the one initiating the takedowns. She takes her down the first time. Gato gets back up. She takes her down a second time. And Gato slings her into a triangle choke. Uses that triangle to set up the Kimura. It's just listed on sure dog typology as a Kimura, but it's all the triangle setup. So mm-hmm. the jiu-jitsu was super slick on that one. The one fight prior versus City Roca, which is a draw in 2018. I don't know how she got a draw to that one, dude. I thought she lost all three rounds. Like, uh, mind you, City Roca was completely gassed out, but like she took her down like seven times. She spent the majority of the fight on top of her. Like not much was happening, but it wasn't pretty at all. So again, the problem with Gato is what we can look at it's not it's not advanced in the slightest bit. She hasn't fought in almost three years. She's been sitting on the sidelines. She's, I don't want to say a plethora of injuries, but there's been fights that she's been booked to that she's been pulling out of. And here's an interesting one for you, right? So her versus Toledo Bernardo. I don't even know who would have set this line, but her versus Toledo Bernardo, she was a plus 330 underdog just prior to pulling out of the fight, right? Okay, interesting. So she's a massive underdog in her debut. Then she gets booked against Avila, and she comes in officially as a plus 220 underdog just before pulling out of the fight. Now she gets rebooked against Agapova, who, let's be real, right? What has Agapova done in the division? And yet she's still a plus 210 underdog before pulling out of this fight. And now she's got an even money spot versus Victoria Leonardo. So she was supposed to lose in all three of her UFC fights and all three times bailed out at the last minute, as you can see by the fact that there was already an established line. <sighs> like, there's not much I can go off there. Leonardo seems stronger than her. Uh, stronger than her. She's, a, you know, one of these tough uh, Louisiana-born fighters. She's been spending some time with Andrea Lee. Her striking's okay. Her wrestling leads something to the imagination but she's strong she's physical in the clinch she's going to have a lot of ex- uh, a lot of advantages i think she's strong enough to stuff these takedowns and then i would give her the striking advantage so as far as plus money victoria leonardo you could do worse i believe on a plus money situation but again you have to talk about narrative so this is the narrative i'm going to drum up here the problem with brazilian fighters you see this all the time especially out of the women they got hardly any tape or very bad looking tape from the brazilian regional and then a two-year gap, and then a UFC fight, and they al- they almost always come out as like twice the fighter they were on these regional scene tapes. Mm-hmm. And I should actually I should actually put a list together and tweet it out. But there's like at least half a dozen Brazilian women came in as underdogs with no tape and a bad reputation, and they're just legit, you know, strong. Mm-hmm. Well, like, holy crap, where did she come out of? And so that's my worry about with uh, Gato. It's like Gato, you know. What we've seen, yeah, she's probably going to lose this tight fight to Victoria Leonardo, but she was 22 years old the last yeah. time you saw her. She's 25 now. You know, she's she's trained. She's trained hard. She's coming into this fight in excellent shape. We already knew that she had some good BJJ, and now she's added some striking. And she shows you clips on it. Check out her Instagram. Check out whatever you want. But the clips largely of her training is like she's working on that wrestling as well. So you know she's comfortable as a grappler. And whereas before she wasn't physically strong enough to get these fights to the ground, now adding that wrinkle, that would be huge. So I, I actually just got to take that shot in the dark, and I'm going to end up going with Gato here. What do you think about like the over in this? I mean, that's it's actually it's a mean. women's women's flyweight fight, and it's priced as a pick'em. 
I'm pretty surprised by that. I haven't seen anything from really either one of these that really concerns me too much about like the standing KO. Um, obviously, it's can Gato get the fight to the mat and, and find a, a submission. But, you know, usually in a lot of these spots, they're making us pay minus 300 and, and up for these overs. If I'm kind of stunned by the by the straight pick'em status here. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I would say probably the under. The one thing that would the save under. if you were going... Yeah, well, I would think I would think the under. And the reason I say that is Victoria Leonardo is reckless, man. I mean, in her pro losses, she lost to Miranda Maverick, first round armbar. Maverick had just turned 21 years old, right? True. She lost she lost a kickboxing match to Shannon Sin. <laughs> if you know who Shannon Sin is, you know who Shannon Sin is. Mm -hmm. But then but then this Aaron Blanchfield fight, right? Blanchfield was 19 years yeah, old and head she head kick kicked knockout. her. Head kicked her. Then she won on the contender series versus Chelsea Hackett, but she actually got head kicked in that fight too, got up and ended up storming back to win the fight by TKO. And then the fight with Menno Fioro, she got head kicked. So like there was an inability to make adjustments, or maybe it's good level competition. But she's more of a, like, go off on your shield. She'll either come after you and try to break you. In, in Gato's case, we've never really seen her against elite, elite. Carol Rosa would have been the best girl she fought, but the fight really ended before it got going. So if, if Leonardo turns out this girl is a fraud, Leonardo might be able to take her in that under two and a half. And meanwhile, if Gato's made any remote improvements, I see a good chance that she should be able to get this fight to the ground and then you know, use her Brazilian jiu-jitsu to pick up a submission. Last thing of note is I believe Carol Rosa is listed as a black belt, whereas Gato's only a purple belt. She submitted her with a triangle Kimura. It was some slick stuff. And that mm -hmm. was three years ago as a 22-year-old. Leonardo lost to a 19-year-old Blanchfield and a 21-year-old Miranda Maverick. So, like, young prospects that are very green, I've still been able to go out there and cruise and get the finish. And Gato might have made, made enough improvements to be that girl, but I think that we should be more comfortable with just going Gato money line. If anything, if you want to bet it at all, just take that you know minus one ten money line. But uh, yeah, as far as a card that does figure to have a lot of decisions, in my opinion, don't necessarily think that this is one of the ones that's earmarked for it. What about this next one? We got Johnny Munoz Jr. taking on Jamie Simmons minus two sixty five. Munoz plus two fifteen. Jamie Simmons. Munoz obviously in his first. Uh, UFC fight there, uh, took on Nate Maness. And honestly, at the end of round one, he was he was on top, had Maness in mount. Maness gets saved by the bell, but he had a great round one, maybe a little bit of adrenaline dump, maybe a little bit of uh, emptying the tank, trying to look for the finish in the last like 15 seconds or so. Kind of gives away the next two rounds. They were pretty inactive, slow-moving rounds. And uh, Maness gets a very, very, very disputed decision in that fight. Jamie Simmons, on the other hand, kind of given the impossible task of taking on Giga Chikads on short notice. Up, a, or I guess he's been fighting at 145, but this guy's like five foot six. Like I like the fact that he's moved down to... 135 like I don't think his his frame really suits him well at 145 at the UFC level but yeah it's absolutely uh train wrecked against Chikads but I mean if you're not he doesn't seem to have great great wrestling and if you're not able to take Chikads down Chikads has an insane amount of reach on you he's just gonna pick you apart and find the finish and that's exactly what happened um I'm kind of interested in the under in this fight uh just based on the fact that it seems like Simmons doesn't really have 
all that, or that, I don't know. I'm not impressed by what I've seen from t- uh, Simmons on tape. Most of his fights tend to get finished inside the distance. They're hanging minus 130 to the under uh, 2.5 rounds. So that's what I'm more interested in rather than laying the wood at minus 265 on Johnny Munoz Jr. Who is my pick? Who do you got here? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I think uh, the under's a good player as well. Jamie Simmons doesn't seem like he's the most durable guy going. His first pro loss, Donnie Simpson, first-round guillotine choke. This is only three years ago, right? So it's not even like it's all that long ago, but he loses the first fight to Donnie Simpson, and uh, Donnie Simpson would would fight once more in his whole career and lose. So he beat Simmons, he fought once more, and he lost. The next one is Jake Childers. Childers is 6-0 at the time. He knocks him out 13 seconds. 13 seconds in the first round. Childers would then go on to go one and two over his next three, getting finished in those latter two. So, you know, these guys didn't go on to anything beyond that. And so him coming into the UFC, it was just like, man, Jamie Simmons shouldn't be there. He should have 100% gone the contender series route. He had lost his lone fight for LFA. He lasted 13 seconds. He should not be in here against Giga Chakots, but they needed a guy. They needed a guy short notice. Giga Chikots, uh, his power certainly made a lot of improvements, but that was like his coming out party in that he just booted him in the head effortlessly. Giga Chikots was a huge favorite, so there was not a whole lot of respect there from Jamie Simmons. It's cool that he's going back down to 135, but against Johnny Munoz, Munoz is actually also going back down to 135 because he fought Mayness. Nate Maness is also 35, right? I get it, but they did fight at 145, so this should be a better indication of where he's at. I think Johnny Munoz could take this fight to the ground. He's going to get a submission. If he doesn't take this fight to the ground, keeps it standing, he's not a very good striker. But again, I don't really think Jamie Sims is the most durable guy going. <clears throat> I, uh, I I really had high expectations for Johnny Munoz. He, uh, he's got his BJJ black belt by 20 years old, right? So by t- age 20, this man's been awarded a black belt. He's won world championships as a blue belt, purple belt, and a brown belt. No gi world championships. Uh, he's a very solid Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Comes over to MMA, and again, it's a lot of these Brazilian jiu-jitsu. His wrestling, not very good. His striking, almost non-existent. The fight hits the ground, and he just just floats, man, from dominant position to dominant position, and he either gets the finish or he just styles on you in between. His finish is armbar, armbar, rear naked choke, heel hook, and two TKO stoppages, few rear nakeds. What I'm saying is that that's multiple ways of finishing. He loves the rear naked. He's also finished with the heel hook. He's also finished with an armbar. He also likes the ground and pound TKO. This guy on the ground, exactly where he needs to be. That fight with Nate Manis, he comes in. He's relatively short notice. He's not fought anybody to this level to this point. He's moving up a weight class theoretically. I know he's fighting a fellow 35er, but they are fighting at 145 pounds, bright lights. All those things got to factor in sure. He definitely wins the first round. The second rounds are close. But here's what irks me is that the first round, he lands a low blow, right? Accidental, very clearly accidental. The second round, nothing happens. The third round, he glances him with another low blow. And yet, for the first time ever, a referee decides to do his job and take a point, right? They never take a point off two low blows. Both of them are unintentional. And it wasn't like they were the same round. Hell, they weren't even one round apart. (laughs) One was in the first, one was in the third. And they took a point. And so, yeah, that point made a big difference mm-hmm. because it was a close fight, but a lot of people thought Munoz won the fight straight up. A lot of oh, fight yeah, it was 29-27 on all judges. So, like, they gave him rounds two and three, but really not much happened in those other rounds. Besides the not not much game. happening. Yeah, and again, I think if you look at uh, all three guys from Sure Dog had it 29-26 Munoz, meaning they thought he won the fight 
straight up and lost a point. No big deal. Junkie scored the fight for Munoz. Wrestling and Verb Observer gave it for Munoz. It's the other guys, Mania, Cage Side Press, all those guys that scored the fight draws, scored the fight draws because of the point deduction. Mm -hmm. So uh, the judges, it wouldn't matter. It never matters to the judges. What I'm saying is for a guy to make his UFC debut against a pretty tough guy in, in Nate Maness, the former TKO world champion, it's not a world title, so we won't call it the world champion, but the former TKO champion. Uh, it's a solid enough fight. A lot of people thought you won the fight. Your striking looked a lot better than I thought, to be honest with you. Like, it looked like it was improved. His wrestling looked a little bit more improved. And this is a step back, man. This is a, a step down. I think all those tools he had should work a lot better and be a lot more effective at, uh, against Jamie Simmons. So if the fight stays standing, hopefully not for long, but I think he's going to use the striking long enough to set something up, get this fight to the ground. And once this fight is on the ground, he should be able to just dance on him in style. So I got him winning at minus 265 for a guy that's 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, you know, dicey, dicey, but Munoz earned his way to the UFC. I would have, sure, I would have liked to have seen him on Contender Series, but I'm okay with his skill set being in the octagon as long as they match him up properly. Jamie Simmons, like, he's going to have to come and show me something. Like, it does not seem like this guy. And I know the UFC decides whoever these days, but he'd be cannon fodder on the contender series. He'd be a three to one underdog on the contender series. And yet he's in the UFC. Like, I, I don't know. I can't fully get behind that. So sign me up for Johnny Munoz Jr. All right. Uh, we are just about out of time here. But before we go, hit him with the PRP. So we're going to go with Serial Gain. Pedro Munoz is, uh, <laughs> well, there you go, dog number one. Uh, Michael Chiesa is dog number two. We're going with uh, Tisha Torres. Uh, Casey Kinney is even money. Rafael Faziv. Draco Rodriguez is even money. Alonzo Menefield. Carolina Kovalkiewicz, slight favorite. Manel Kapp. Miles John. Melissa Gatto. See, that's the thing. We only have two underdogs, but we got three even money plays in this card. You don't mm -hmm. see that very often at all. That's good matchmaking, man. That's uh, solid matchmaking from the UFC that people are that undecisive on it. And I get it. I could see an argument for either side, but yeah. Okay, so it sounds it sounds like we're taking all favorites, but in actuality, we got two underdogs and three even money picks, right? So... That's what we're left at. In terms of a confidence level, we'll have to tweet it out. You got me a little bit shook on Fazeev, man. I thought Gan and Fazeev would be the two uh, anchor points of the ticket for sure. But, uh, you know, I don't know. You don't, If you disagree, then it's definitely going to make me reconsider. You know, I, uh, I value your opinion. I'm just scared of, of laying the wood at minus 310 for yeah, a guy who was knocked out by a spinning back kick by, uh, by Mustafaev way back when. Obviously, that, you know, these things happen in MMA. I don't know if his yeah. wrestling... My biggest concern is that I just don't think his wrestling has been tested. His hips have looked great, but it was against lower competition. I'm Bobby Green at a wide underdog for his level of talent. He's an underdog play. We've been... You know, when we got in danger, we got in trouble uh, against against Tiago Moises is because we were laying the wood on him. I mean, he still, fuck, he still won that fight. Uh, I will go to the, to the grave thinking I got robbed on that one. I haven't actually made any bets this week, but the things that I've got circled now, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be at a wedding on Saturday, and we'll it's kind of like one of those ones where you're like out in the boonies, so it's like I don't even know if I'll be able to get Wi-Fi out there. We'll see. Yeah, of course. But, uh, so I don't know if I'll be able to pull what you did at, uh, at uh, Pat's wedding, where you had your phone <laughs> out, and you were watching Andre yeah. Feely versus Calvin Cater way back when. Uh, and, it, and it looked like I was filming the first dance between uh, no. Pat's wife and her father. So, cause I had it. Yeah, I remember. It. Oh, I was sweating. It. God damn. 
lesson learned. But uh, I'll post, uh, I'll, I'll pin something to the top of my profile on Saturday morning once I get all of the, get all my ducks in a row here. But I really like, I think, the under four and a half rounds or fight doesn't go to decision of uh, Cyril Gon versus Derek Lewis. I think that's the best way to approach this fight, particularly. Um, I got to just jumble it around a bit. I've got uh, the over in Luque versus Chiesa. That's, that's got my attention. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about the green by decision. Torres by decision, but it's, uh, it's plus 100. We'll see how we, where we end up with that one. Casey Kenny by decision is something that's got my eye at plus 150. I think Yudong's going to at least keep it in. Now, but now I'm playing all these decision props in goddamn Texas. At least I'm not going to be like super tilted because yeah. I'm probably not able to watch the fight. So maybe I'll feel a little right. better about it. But uh, yeah, I'll post something up on my uh, up on my Twitter by, at the latest by Saturday morning uh, for the peoples to uh, follow or fade. I don't really care either way. But uh, but yeah, it would be a lot cooler if you followed. But if you fade and, and, and you lose, it's, it's some money. You know, jokes on you. <laughs> anyway, uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, that's it, man. I mean, last card was dumpster fire. We talked about that all week going in. Man, I'm so stupid. I told you that Jason Witt was going to win, and then I didn't even bet it myself. Regardless, it was an absolute dumpster fire going in. We knew that was going to be the case, and then the results ended up being exactly that. This week, I feel a lot better about it, so let's go back into the positive results. And uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward. Obviously, you won't be able to watch the fights on the Saturday, but hopefully you have a special treat in your account waiting for you come Sunday morning. So as always, do thank you for taking the time. I apologize to any. I don't know if anybody cares about a backdrop, but I will be back in the studio for uh, the rest of the content moving forward. And uh, as always, if you reached out to me yesterday to wish me a happy birthday, much appreciated. I uh, saw all the messages and all the support has been tremendous as always. You guys definitely know how to make a guy feel good. So Hopefully I can return the favor with showing you my gratitude with some winning picks. So check that out at CJ Saptic on Saturday. We'll have the official stuff out by then. And in the meantime, you know, we just basically gave you our in-depth thoughts. So you should be able to kind of construct a, a lineup together based on what you think as well. So anyways, I'll leave you with that. And then hopefully we can make some money, cash some tickets, and I'll see you guys the next time. Yeah, not so hot take. I think your cottage Wi-Fi may be better than your home Wi-Fi. Uh, oh, okay. Pat's got an announcement. Oh. So remind people to tune in on Sunday to your recap show, which comes That's up on right. Mayo Media Network and on the Dogger That's Pass right. podcast feed. And Paul will be on vacation next week, and there is no UFC. So we thought, no, oh, no show. But Cody is going to do the Bellator breakdown, which usually appears on Cody's YouTube channel. But he's been gracious enough to do a solo show that he usually does over on his channel for us and the Dogger Pass viewers and listeners next week. But, Cody, where can people sign up for your YouTube channel? Yeah, so I'm going to drop Mixed Martial Madness episode two, uh, hopefully by this weekend, but not shortly thereafter anyway. So it's almost done. You can check any of that out on uh, CJ MMA on YouTube. Obviously, you guys know where to hit me up on Twitter. And yeah, like Pat said, um, the recaps for all the UFC events are always going to be up on Mayo Media Network. Love when you guys check that stuff out. Love the feedback. But also, there's no UFC card next week. I kind of got a sponsorship agreement with DraftKings Sportsbook, and they've been awesome to me, so I want to keep them happy. So we'll do the Bellator show and a little bit of bone to pick with my main man, Pat Mayo. Pandemic uh -oh. started. I know, pandemic started. Ain't nothing going on. 
He says, Cody, would you do a Cage Warriors show just to fill the airwaves? And we kick some serious ass on the Cage Warriors show. And I haven't been invited back to break down and be since. So I'm actually pumped up to see some Bellator on Mayo Media Network. And hopefully, if we make it like last week's Bellator card or that Cage Warriors card beginning of the pandemic, you guys are in for a real treat because uh, B-League fights seem to go so much more smoother and according to plan. Pumped up about that. And yes, you can catch all that great action on Pat's channel. So don't be hitting me up being like, what, where is it? Where is it? Right here, right here. We'll tweet it out. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we can keep the ball rolling. Shots fired at Pat. We have, I appreciate him. Even if Cody doesn't appreciate him, I appreciate him for doing all the sweet cuts behind the scene. Want to thank Cody Saftik, breaking down the fights as always. For Cody and Pat, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.